Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and uh, I'm very honored this morning to have been asked to bring this word this morning. Even I saw that my name was on the schedule to preach this morning. I did not realize that it was Father's Day. Um, I did almost immediately, as God often does when I see that I'm going to be preaching. Um, two things happen. I either um, I either will get a word immediately or uh, I will have to uh, act like Jacob and wrestle with the Lord until he gives me something. But immediately I had a, a, a word and then I realized it was Father's Day and I thought, I thought, man, I can't preach that on Father's Day because you're supposed to like preach Father's Day messages on Father's Day. And, uh, and I have had much confirmation both in prayer and even in MIT and what Pastor taught this morning. Uh, I've had much confirmation that this is indeed what the Lord has given me this morning. And I believe that if we will open our hearts, I believe this word is going to speak life into someone's life this morning and as well as someone's family. Amen. And, and I also, um, with it being Father's Day, I want to say how great of a surprise it is that my son walked in this morning. Amen. To be with us. It's good to have Austin this morning. Uh, did not know that was going to happen. So it's good. It's good to have both of my children here this morning. And I want to give honor uh, this morning to uh, my, my spiritual fathers, um, Brother Ham, who is my, my father in the faith. Uh, he, this is the man that introduced me to the apostolic faith. Um, he is, uh, his ministry and Sister Ham's ministry is the reason that I'm in this pulpit this morning. Um, he is the man that baptized me in Jesus' name. He was the man that laid hands on me uh, when I received the Holy Ghost. I give honor to you, Reverend, and to my beloved pastor, uh, who is my shepherd. <clears throat> I give honor to him this morning and uh, am so thankful, uh, even hard to not be moved to tears when I think about the effects that these men have had in my life. Um, I tell you what, stay close to the man of God. All right, I got a couple of you. Stay close to the man of God in your life. Amen. Because uh, they will refine you. And they will mold you and shape you and make you a better person. Amen. And I'm thankful for that and I give honor to them. I give honor to my bishop this morning too, who has unwittingly many times spoke volumes into my life and into my ministry. And I don't even think he realized it. But there are even things today that I often quote that he quoted that he said to me that have affected my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to talk to you. Uh, I, I usually open sermons with uh, scripture this morning. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I do want to talk to you on, on what I do truly feel like the Lord has given me this morning. I want to talk to you on, on this subject this morning. When mercy comes looking for you. When mercy comes looking for you and you you see the, the picture that we have up there, and it's a campfire and some boats, and you say, well, I'm not really sure what camping has to do with mercy. But uh, I assure you, by the end of this message, you'll understand what that picture means. Amen. We are here this morning, and we're celebrating fathers. We're celebrating Father's Day, and, and uh, I, I can think of no better, and it's already been mentioned up here this morning, I, I can think of, of no better father to give honor to this morning than our Heavenly Father, 
who has been so good to us and has blessed us. The Bible says that he is the source from which all blessings flow. And uh, we're, this, this message is really, uh, even though it's typical for us to get up here and to preach maybe on fathers, I, I've come to preach to you this morning on the Father. Amen. When mercy comes looking for you, the word love, a word that we throw around a lot, uh, we say it every day, at least we should. We say it every day, and, and sometimes we, we just sort of flippantly throw it out there, and we, we use it in, in a lot of terms. It's a very common word in, in our vocabulary here in our country. We, we'll, we'll throw it out. We'll say, oh, I went there and ate this weekend. Oh, I really love that place. Or, or we'll say, hey, I, uh, I heard that new song by, by, this, the, by this Bible college or whatever. And they say, oh, I love that album. Or oftentimes, uh, um, young ladies, I also, I'll be in the vestibule and I'll see young ladies come in. And maybe they got a new outfit or, or something. And I'll see another young lady walk up to them and say, oh, my goodness, I love your dress. Now, you will not hear guys do that, okay? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. As good as that gets with guys is, eh, like your tie, Pastor. It's nice. And that is as emotional as we get when it comes to attire. Or, or we might say, oh, I, I like maybe I like your pocket silk or whatever that may be. But regardless, we use that word love a lot to describe a, a lot of things. Now, Webster's defines that word like this. Webster says that love is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. Or a feeling of warm, personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent or a child or a friend. Now the Bible is very fond of the word love. It's used many times in scriptures. As a matter of fact, I looked it up and the word love is used 281 times in scripture. That tells me that... Uh, Love is associated with everything that God is. is if, if the word is God and the word love is mentioned that many times in scripture, then, then love must be of the very essence of what God is. And that word love is used many times in scripture. In John 3.16, a very familiar scripture, it tells us that love was the reason that Jesus came into the world because God loved the world. In Romans 5, 8, it, it tells us that the way in which God demonstrated his love for us was that he died for each and every one of us, not when we became perfect. He didn't die for us when we had it all together. But the Bible says that while each and every one of us were yet sinners, that he demonstrated his love by a sacrifice on a Roman cross. And Romans chapter 37, 39 tells us that through that same love that each and every one of us here today that we can become more than conquerors through that love. And that scripture goes on to say that there is nothing in this known world that could possibly separate us from the love of God. And 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 tells us that love is of God. And then it goes on to say that the very essence of everything that God is, is love. 
And so the Bible has a great many things to say about love. And, and as I was putting these notes together and thinking on these things, and all of this was coming to me, it, it occurred to me that I can think of no greater example this morning to give to you of the love of God. I, I can think of no greater example to, to talk about this morning regarding the love of God than to come and to speak to you this morning about the rich, unfailing mercy of God. And it was one night while I was, I was praying, and I, I had, had these notes uh, put together before. Uh, I actually taught this, partially uh, part of this, to our youth group uh, a while back. But it was the night when I was, I was praying and I was seeking God, and, I, and he gave me this word. It, it occurred to me as I was praying that mercy that God gives us is not something that just happens to us by accident. The mercy of God is it's not just something that God has in reserve that, that perhaps when we need it, he'll just pull it out and it'll be there. The mercy of God is not something that we just accidentally run into. It's not something that's just out there that we accidentally trip over. It's not something that's just suddenly there when we need it. But it occurred to me as I was going through scripture that in fact the mercy of God is something that is so powerful that that mercy comes looking for us. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Church, I've, I've come to tell you this morning that one of the greatest lies that Satan has ever told, and there's not one person, I would bet this morning, there's not one person in this sanctuary, not one person right now under the sound of my voice that has not heard this lie. There's no greater lie that Satan has ever told to us in the church that God's love for us is determined by our performance. What I'm trying to say is, so long as we're doing good, God loves us. But the minute that we mess up, the minute that we trip up, the minute that we sin, the minute that we find ourselves in some situation, maybe he doesn't love us so much then. That lie says that while we're strong and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, Pastor, while we're praying the way we ought to pray and fasting the way we ought to fast and while we're doing our bread reading so Sister Barb don't yell at us. That lie says that while we're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing, we're in the family of God. But the minute that we cause ourselves to mess up, the minute that we trip over something that the enemy has put in our way, the minute that we make a mess of something and somehow God's just ready to kick us out of the family. And that's a lie. That's a lie. And every one of us this morning have been told that lie. Every one of us this morning has heard that voice speak to us when we have fallen into a situation. Please understand me this morning. Because there's a lot of people on the outside of the church. There's a lot of people that used to be associated with the church. There's even a lot of people right now in the church that believe that God's expectation for us is that somehow we're supposed to be perfect. There's a lot of young people this morning here growing up in an apostolic home or growing up in a preacher's home. Sometimes the enemy will lie to you and say, 
Your parents expect you to be perfect. It's expected of us when we come in to this house that we enter in through those doors and whatever kind of hell that we're facing out there that somehow we're supposed to just leave that out there and then we walk in here and, and, and we put on a smile and we shake hands and we say praise the Lord and everything is great in our lives. That's the mask that we live behind sometimes, amen. Because we believe that that is the expectation that when you're living for God, everything is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. And everything is supposed to be perfect. And we fall for that lie. I've come to tell you this morning that God does have an expectation for us, but His expectation for us is not for us to be perfect. Oh, hear me this morning. Our expectation, or our expectation of ourselves, let me say, far exceeds what God expects of us. I'll tell you this morning, God's expectation for us. God's expectation for us is that there are times that you are going to need a lot of help. God's expectation for you is that there are going to be times that He is going to have to pick you up and dust you off and get you going on your way again. That is God's expectation for you. God's expectation is that there's going to be times that He's going to need to deliver you out of a mess that you've got yourself into. God's expectation is that there's going to be times that you're going to need to be reminded that there is no mistake that you can make. There's no mess that you can find yourself into. There's no sin that you can fall into that is powerful enough to separate you from the love and mercy of God. And I've come to bring that reminder to you this morning. God's passion... God's passion for us runs so deep that He's not just waiting around with mercy for whenever you decide to come back. He doesn't just have a little bit of mercy reserved for you and He says to Himself, well, whenever they decide to wise up and come back, I'll have a little bit of mercy. That's not how the mercy of God works in the Scripture that I've read. Rather, God will send mercy looking for you. It's in Scripture. And I'm going to give you some examples this morning of that. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse chapter 1, should be on the screen this morning. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. It says, Then drew unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, I want you to notice the company that Jesus is speaking to here. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man received, receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? Until when? Until he finds it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you likewise, 
joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. We've heard this parable many times. But I want you to notice that, and I want to bring to your attention this morning that here was a man that had a hundred sheep. That would have been a lot back in those days. He had a hundred sheep and there was one that wandered off. There was one that went his own way. And it would have been very easy for that man to say, well, I've still got 99. I've got plenty to sustain me. But there was something in that man's heart that was so attached to that one sheep that walked away that he was willing to leave the 99 behind. Notice that that man didn't say, oh, well, he walked away. I'm just going to hang out here and maybe he'll come back some other time. But the Bible says he left the 99 and he went looking for the one. And when he found it, the Bible doesn't say that he beat it down. The Bible doesn't say that there was strict judgment for that one that walked away. Rather, what the Bible says is that man picked that sheep up. Oh, come on. Maybe he found that sheep in a wearied state. Maybe the sheep had wandered so far that it found itself in a state of weakness and it couldn't walk. But he didn't beat the sheep down. He didn't pass judgment on him. Rather, the Bible says he picked the sheep up when the sheep couldn't walk himself and he carried it back to the 99. And then, and then Jesus equates that to salvation. He said there is joy in the presence of the angels over one. One that repents. Verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the peace which I had lost. And again he says this, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Again we have another story, a woman that has ten pieces of silver. She lost one, but she still had nine. It would have been very easy in the story for the, this woman to say, well, I've got nine other pieces. I've got plenty to get me through. At some point that piece has got to turn up, but that's not what the Bible says happened. The Bible says when she realized she was missing just one piece, Pastor, that she turned her whole house upside down, desperately seeking for the one until she found it. And when she found it, she called her neighbors. Now maybe her neighbors didn't understand how important that one piece of silver is. But I've come to tell you this morning, there's a God and a Father in heaven that understands how precious and how valuable each and every one of us in this room is today. And the Bible says, I say that there is joy in the presence of the angels over just one sinner that repents. You know, I, I'm not trying to cross doctrinal hairs with anybody this morning, but I don't know anywhere in Scripture where it says there's joy in the presence of the angels over people that are baptized in Jesus' name and filled in the Holy Ghost. 
What are you saying, Brother Puckett? That's not important. Oh, no, no, no. That is vitally important. But what I'm saying is reconciliation to God starts with repentance. You can't come back to God unless you first repent. And so when a sinner comes in repentance, and, and you know, I, I'm, I, I, am, I am honored and I'm glad to be licensed with the United Pentecostal Church, and I love this organization, but oftentimes when I get online, I read about, oh, we baptized this many, and we saw this many filled with the Holy Ghost. I've yet to see one status on social media that says we had a lot of sinners at the altar repenting. But you know, while we're keeping track of all of the numbers, the angels in heaven, the Bible says, are rejoicing over the ones that come to the altar and say, my God, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Oh, my God, if you could just help me turn my life around. The Bible says there is joy, joy that spans across heaven over one that repents because that's when reconciliation begins to take place. Amen. Amen. Staying in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to build on this. This is a very familiar story. We're all familiar with this. The Bible says, and A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain... And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks of, that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, 
And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he got mad. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him and answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. In other words, I've been with you this whole time. I've been faithful. I've done what you've asked me to do. And you never made all this for me. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. You never even gave me a kid. But you gave him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. Why? For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here we have the story of a young man that that left the father's house. A young man that, 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 that was raised or a young man that was in the father's house and there was something in this young man that, that he decided that there must be something out there better than, than what is in here. Maybe there's just too many rules, there's just too many things, there's just too, many, too much stuff. I, I just believe that there must be something out there. I must, I must really be missing what's going on out there. And the Bible says that this young Man, he, he went away of carnality. He went into the world and he began to experience all the things of the world. The Bible says it was riotous living. His, his brother then later says he spent all of his money with prostitutes. So this man went out and he began to party. This, this young man who believed that there was just something greater out there than there was in the father's house, he went out and he began to waste everything that he had. I want you to notice this morning that when this young man came to his father and he told his father that he was going to leave, I want you to notice that the father did not try to force him to stay. Because love never forces anything. And so he goes off and he's doing his thing and then all of a sudden the day comes. That day comes as it comes in the lives of of, of many who maybe at one time was in the father's house that walked away. There was a day of reckoning, a day of awakening that come. And all of a sudden this day come, the Bible says, where this young man's eyes were opened. and, And all of the great things that he was feasting on in the world, he realizes that he's eating nothing more than the slop that was given to the swine. And his eyes and his understanding are open and he realizes all of a sudden just how far I've come. Young people, listen to me this morning. You start messing around with sin and going the way of the world and it's going to take you real far away until the day comes that you wake up and you say, I don't know how I got here so quickly. But this young man, he, he comes to himself and he realizes this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then that young man, he hears that same voice that you and I have heard many times in our walk with God. Maybe it's a voice that you heard this morning. 
that young man decides that he's going to go back to the father's house. And, and then that, boy, that voice comes into his mind and says, you can't go back there. You'll, you'll, you'll never have the relationship with your father that you had before. They'll never accept you like they accepted you before. You'll never have the same standing in the house of your father that you had before. Maybe you should just stop in every once in a while. And so we see this young man fall for that same thing. And he began to say to himself, I, I know that I'll never be allowed in the father's house, but, but maybe he would let me just, just be on the outside and, and be a servant. Or, or if I could put that in, 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 in modern vernacular today, I know that I'm never going to be able to, to, to be with God the way that I was because I've messed things up so much, but maybe I could just come to church when I feel that unction. Maybe I could just come to church on Easter or Christmas or special occasions because there's no way I could ever be with God. There's no way the Father will ever accept me after all that I've done, I'll never be restored to what I once was. And that's the lie that every one of us have been told at some point in our life. And that is the lie that this young man come under such condemnation with. But I want to point out to you this morning that the Bible says that when he decided to come home, look what scripture says. It says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Why is that important? Why is that scripture important? The reason that it is important is because the reason he saw him, I believe the reason that the Bible says that his father saw him when he was a great way off. I believe because every day, I believe there was a period of time that was spent in that father's life from the day that that son left and went the way of the world. I believe every day there was a time that that father would go out and he would begin to search and he would begin to just to gaze across the landscape and wonder to himself, is today going to be the day that I'm going to see my son? Is today going to be the day that he's coming back? I've come to tell you the reason that he saw him a far off pastor was because the father was still looking for him. And when his father saw him, the Bible doesn't say that he ran to his father. He didn't run to his father because he already had settled it in his heart that he would never be accepted. That's the reason why backsliders walk in the church and they sit on the back pew. Because they say, I've already messed up too bad. I'll never be accepted the way that I was before. And so his father sees him afar off. And, 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 and the Bible says that his father, his father ran to him and fell on his neck. And kissed him as if to say, my son, welcome home. I've missed you. Every day I've been looking for you. Every day I've stood out here. And I've fixed my gaze on the direction that you went. Wondering if the day was today that you were coming back. My son, I never quit 
looking. And then listen to what the son says. Here is this young man that had fallen for the same lie that every one of us have been told in this sanctuary. Here's what he says to his father. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. Now watch this. And I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But what I think is, is, is very interesting here is that we see that his father disregards that part of the statement. I believe as I read this, I believe that the only part of that statement that that young man made was the confession. I have sinned against you and against heaven. And then everything else beyond that was of no circumstance. Come on. Because when I look at the scripture, the son says, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no more worthy to be your son. But look that the father just disregards that portion of his son's statement. And he said to his servants, you bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Because my son who was dead is now alive again. And my son who was lost, I have found. All of these things are significant. That ring that he put on his finger would have, would have been a signet. It would have probably the crest of the family. Putting that on his finger is saying, I'm restoring you to everything that you were before you walked away. And here's a young man that said, I, if I come back, perhaps I can be a servant. But it was significant, Pastor, that he put the sandals on his feet because oftentimes servants were forced to go barefoot. So everything he did, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes and put it on his feet. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Why did all of that happen? Because mercy never quit looking for him. The whole time that young man was living wrong, the whole time that young man was gone, his father never wrote him off. He never said, well, he went his own ways, on his own now, my hands are clean. But I believe every day there must have been a time of the day. Maybe it was the time of the day when, when the father had the, the best view. And I believe, even the Bible doesn't say it, but I believe based on Scripture that there was a time every day maybe that father went out. It doesn't say how long this young man was gone. Maybe it was years. But I believe every day, every day, mercy was looking in that direction. And saying, maybe today, <laughs> oh God, maybe you got children that are backslidden. Maybe you got parents and loved ones. Can I tell you this morning, maybe every... <laughs> Maybe every time you come into this house, just every once in a while, why don't you turn around and look at the doors? Maybe today, maybe today is the day that your son is coming home. <laughs> maybe today is the day that your daughter's coming back. Maybe today is the day that your parents are going to return to God. Maybe today is the day that your siblings walk through the doors of this church. 
Oh, just keep looking. Just keep looking. Because mercy's looking. Mercy's going after him. Mercy's looking for him today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture. All the way back in, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It tells us that even in the beginning, mercy came looking. Well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to leave that right there. But for the sake of time, we see the situation. Eve was deceived by the serpent into eating the forbidden fruit of the tree. And when their eyes were opened and they noticed that they had sinned, that same voice, that same voice came to them. That voice of condemnation, that voice that judgment is coming on you came to them because the Bible says immediately they went and they hid themselves. But right after that we see in Scripture that mercy came walking through the garden. Came walking through the garden looking for them, calling out, saying, Adam, where art thou? God knew what they had done. God knew that sin had come in to paradise. God knew exactly what they had, that they had transgressed against his word. He knew what they had done, and yet he came looking for them anyway. I've come to tell you this morning, that mercy will come looking for you. I, uh, I'm blown away often at the times in which sin comes into someone's life and, and, and separates them from God. Not the act of sin itself. Not because they had sin. Yes, sin does separate us from God. But I'm amazed at times how someone will, will falter or they will stumble and they'll fall into sin and that sin will cause them to act like Adam and Eve and they'll go and they'll hide themselves from the very one who can save them because they become convinced that he won't. In Mark chapter 16, we find the apostle Peter very strong-willed, very confident man, walking with the Lord and making, he, you know, Peter was a, a man that boasted a lot of things, said a lot of things, Jesus even rebuked him a couple of times for the things that we said, but yet we, we see this man and Jesus had prophesied to him and he said the time is going to come, Peter, that before the cock will crow three times, you will deny me. In Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 66, it says, But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. This is after he had followed Jesus, after Jesus had been taken into captivity. And the maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. 
But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me three times. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Here was a man that walked with Jesus, a man that was very confident in himself, a man that was very strong, a man that told Jesus, I will die for you. But Jesus saw something in his heart and he said, not so fast, because before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And so we see this man all of a sudden fall into a place of doubt. He fell into a place and he went off and he wept because he realized he had just denied the Lord. But the Bible tells us in just a couple of chapters later that Jesus came looking for Peter. Here we find the resurrected Jesus in chapter 16, starting at verse 6. It says, and he saith unto them, this is after uh, Mary and Mary Magdalene had come to the sepulcher and, and, and they saw that Jesus was not in the tomb and Jesus is speaking and he says this. Be not affrighted, or these are the angels, I'm sorry. Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified. He is risen and he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But watch this. Go your way and tell his disciples and Peter. That he goeth before you into Galilee, there you shall see him as he said unto you. I want you to notice two things here, and, and, and I know that perhaps you've caught this before. But the first thing is that Peter is the only one that he mentions by name. And I believe that's because from the day that Peter had his moment of denial... I believe that even though the Bible doesn't say so, I believe that it implies here that there was some sort of struggle going on in Peter's mind. There was some sort of spiritual battle going on in Peter's heart. There was something that Peter was fighting that he didn't know if he was going to be able to overcome. Perhaps it was that same voice that we're all familiar with. You've done denied the Messiah. You'll never be accepted again. He'll never call you back to him again. Your life is over. Maybe that's what Peter was struggling with. And so when, G so when the angels send them off to the disciples, he says, tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter. And the second thing I want to point out to you here this morning is Jesus did not, or the angel did not say, go and tell Simon. Brother Puckett, why is that significant? That's significant because Peter was the name Jesus gave him. Peter was the name of his calling. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, just because he had a moment of weakness, just because he had a moment of doubt, Jesus did not cast him outside of his calling. But he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> He's still in the family. Even when our faith fails us, even when we need convincing, mercy still comes looking for us. But that wasn't the end of Peter's struggle. Because the Bible tells us that even after Jesus had appeared two times to them after his resurrection, 
two times. Peter decides that it's just best for him to go back to being a fisherman. The resurrected Christ, the one that they saw crucified on the cross, the one that they knew were buried, has appeared to them alive two times. And yet that battle that was waging, that battle in Peter's thoughts, that battle in his spirit that says you'll never be restored to what you was before, that battle was getting the best of him. And he said, maybe I'll go back to just being a fisherman. The Bible says those men that were with him said, well, we're just going to go with you. John chapter 21. Starting at verse 4. Maybe Peter and the others would have just given up on their calling. Maybe Peter believed that what he had done, maybe those voices, those lies were coming against him and saying you can never be what you was before. So they were ready to just give up on their calling. Oh, young people, hear me this morning. There's a calling on your life. There's a calling on your life. And just because... You may find yourself in a circumstance that you never wanted to be in. Just because maybe you find yourself in sin or you find yourself in some sort of a mess, that does not disqualify you from your calling. Because here we see Peter, this man that walked boldly with Jesus, this man that yielded the sword and took off the ear of the man that come after his master. Here is this man, this man, because you know, a lot of times we, we just we, we lift up those apostles and we think that they're just so far up here when we're down here. But here we find Peter struggling in his spirit. Ready to just give up his calling and go back. I'm just going to go back to that life I knew. I'm just going to go back to what I'm familiar with. I'm just going to go back to living what I was living and just try to forget the whole thing. But the Bible says, brothers and sisters, but that there was a night. There was a night that mercy came walking down a seashore. Hear this preacher this morning. These men were ready to just give it up. They were ready to just do away with everything they had seen and experienced and just go back to their old life. But there was one night while they were out on the sea and they were fishing that mercy came looking for them walking down the bank. Starting at verse 4, it says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus Loved, saith to Peter, it is the Lord. Now watch Peter's response. Here's a man on the verge of defeat, I believe. Such a battle being waged in his mind and spirit. And Peter heard that it was the Lord and gird up his fisher's coat unto him for he was naked and cast himself into the sea. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, when mercy comes looking for you, don't waste any time. Cast himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net of fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire and coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, 150 and three, and for all there were so many, yet the net wasn't broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. I want you to notice in this scripture, <clears throat> these were men that were ready to give it all up. These were men that had already wrote off everything that had happened to them and was ready to go back to their old life. But I want you to notice in this scripture, when these men came to Jesus, they did not have to get on their knees and growl, grovel. They did not have to beg, oh God, please let me come back into the family. Oh Jesus, please let me be accepted. They did not have to grovel before the Lord. Why? Because the invitation was already there. The invitation was there. He offered. He was saying to them today, you're not a castaway. He was saying to them today, your life is not over. He was saying to them that today your calling is not null and void. You are not on the outside looking in. But the invitation that was there that day is the same invitation that is here this morning. Come, come, come and dine. The gist of what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that if you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to put a lot of effort into it. Listen to this preacher this morning. If you're going to go to hell, you're going to have to put a lot of effort into it because mercy is going to keep coming and looking for you. And maybe you once knew the ways of God and have walked away, but I want to reassure you this morning that the Bible says you can be confident in this very thing. That he which started the work in your life will not abandon you halfway through it. But he will, he will complete that which he started in you until the day of his return. Amen. If the music would come. I know this isn't a typical Father's Day message, but I've come to preach to you this morning about the mercy of the Father. I've come to talk to you this morning about the Father's house. I've come to tell you this morning that maybe, maybe you're under the influence of those voices. Maybe you found yourself somewhere. I don't know. You got loved ones, children, family members, parents that have walked away from God or don't know God. I've come to encourage you about the love and the mercy of God. That mercy isn't something that's just stagnant and waiting, but mercy is something that is very active and looking. Amen. I have given you many scriptures this morning to show you that mercy is constantly seeking those that are lost. Seeking those that were dead. Why? That they may live again. That they may put the robe back on telling you this morning there's a ring 
waiting. There's a robe waiting. And there's a father every day looking afar off saying, will this be the day? Will this be the day that I look and I, I see my daughter and I see my son? Will this be the day today that he comes home? Because I've never quit looking. I've never wrote him off. Brothers and sisters, the sum total of the love of the Father is his enduring mercy. His long-suffering, his patience. Listen to me as I close this morning. It's not the voice of God that condemns you in your failure. That's not God's voice. It's not the voice of God that tells you that you could never be what you once was. It's not the voice of God that says at best you could sit on a back pew and just be on the outside looking. That's not the voice of God. That's not the voice of the Father this morning. If you'll open your hearts, your spirit to the Lord this morning, He's speaking. If you'll listen this morning, there is a voice. It's not the one that's telling you there's no hope. There's no hope for your children. It's not the one that's telling you there's no hope that you can't be restored. But there is a voice in this sanctuary this morning of mercy that is reaching. It's saying simply this, come and die. Come and die. Come and die. The invitation's here. This altar's open. If you need something from God this morning, this altar's open. 